You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music tech. And when we go around the country meeting different music tech companies, we end up at a lot of really cool, innovative conferences and meetups. And there's one guy that I just kept running into, and he was one of the only consumer electronics guy that I see at all the innovative and cool music tech events. And we've got him on the show today. His name is Matthew Neutra. He's the lead experience engineer and manager of experience prototyping at Bose. That's right, the headphone and speaker company. He's with us here today. Matthew, how are you doing today? Excellent, Dimitri. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so cool because um, we've, you know, we've run into each other at places like Capital Royale and South by Southwest and Music Tectonics. And uh, we've had some cool, quick conversations. But one of the fun things about the, the, the Music Tectonics podcast is I get to steal you for like a good solid half hour or so and have like a deep dive. And so I'm excited to finally have that chat with you. Yeah, Music Tectonics was awesome. I really had a great time at that at that event and met some really cool people and and um I know we we talked in the in the virtual universe for a little bit, but I'm glad to be able to talk to you one-on-one for a little bit. Awesome. Well, thanks for the props and and, and likewise. So let's just jump right into it. Um, this is kind of fun because I've never really had anyone that has your type of role um, on the podcast. So what does this mean, this lead experience engineer, experience prototyping? prototyping. What exactly do you do at Bose? So I um, got to write that job description some years ago, I had a boss hand me a blank piece of paper and say, I don't understand what you do anymore. Can you please write it down so we can <laughs> make that your job? Uh, so essentially, uh, in 2009, I co-founded a group called the Demonstration Engineering Group at Bose. And our function is to manage all of the technology that creates our user experiences at retail, whether that be in a Bose store in our theater room or whether that be at Best Buy or Saturn or some other retailer where you press a button and you get a demo. So my team uh, works with external vendors to manage the technology and software that makes that experience possible, reliable, and pleasing to the customer. Got it. Well, why do I keep seeing you at these music industry events? (laughs) Well, uh, I do a lot of advanced development work and some business development work. And so I'm always scouring the earth for new technologies and new ways to experience music. Um, we were at Capital Royale because we were invited by the team of uh, the team at Capital Records to present our um, some of our audio sunglasses and some of the technologies we were working on at the time. And then uh, at Music Tectonics, um, I was there because uh, one of our consultants and good friend of ours uh, invited me to come, and I was happy to reconnect with you. And so I go to these events to scour the earth to see what people are doing to deliver musical experiences to other people. And Bose, as a company, is dedicated to the delivering of experiences through our products. And so that's that's why I'm always at these events because I'm I'm looking for new ways to connect our products to other technologies and to content. Awesome. I noticed on your um, LinkedIn bio, uh, you're referred to as doing Imagineering, which I think is a pretty cool uh, way to think about it. Yeah. So, you know, these products that we build, you know, I I always say to people, I give tours of Bose. I'm I'm one of the long 
long suffered tour guides at both tour guides <laughs> at both. And I give people tours when, you know, people come from out of town or they're, you know, school groups and so forth. And so I always bring on the tour, uh, one of our products, a SoundLink micro, a little Bluetooth speaker. And I say, you know, this thing that I'm holding in my hand is made of plastic and metal and, and other materials. And you could look at this and say, this is a product, but it's really an experience. Every Bose product is about delivering a very specific kind of experience to the customer. And yes, it's made up of materials, but it's engineered to deliver this experience. And so that's kind of my focus in at Bose and in life is to figure out how to bring experiences to other people through media, through technology, through architecture, through all these different things. And, um, and so that's, that's sort of how I view that role. And it's a synthesis of the physical and the digital. And um, that's why I also kind of refer to it as sort of an imagineering job, because you have to bring all these things together to package it up in a way that can be delivered reliably to people as an experience. Man, I love it. I didn't know that you were doing tours of Bose. And this is like our podcast version of a tour of Bose. And, yeah. And so this, this will be fun. So from the outside, Matt, it appeared that Bose became a household name when the company started selling high-quality shelf speakers, which coincided with the shift to digital music. And then again, when everyone was flying on airplanes for business, they were all wearing these silver Bose noise-canceling headphones. I mean, maybe this is just my experience and, and, and where it started to resonate as like a, a household name brand. And, and now Bose offers this wide variety of products and form factors. Um, catch us up on, on, since we're on the tour, what new products Bose has released over the last few years for anyone who maybe, uh, well, maybe they've been stuck at home during the pandemic or, or maybe they just haven't caught everything that you guys have been up to. Yeah. Well, you know, as the mechanism for delivering audio experiences changes over time. So does the form factor. And when I started at Bose in 2001, our biggest division was our loudspeaker division. We had the 901 speaker. We had our bookshelf speakers, the 301 and the 501. We had out, we have outdoor speakers, automotive speakers. You know, we're kind of everywhere in terms of rendering audio. Mm -hmm. um, and now today, you know, 20 years later, I'm still at Bose and, the the form factors that we're focused on right now are smaller. They're mm -hmm. more wearable. They're more accessible. They're more portable. We're still in automotive systems. We're still in restaurants and stadiums, and we're still in in um, you know our professional systems uh, for live musicians. But you know, sort of the consumer electronics side of the brand has migrated from these big stereo speakers of the you know, late 90s, early 2000s to then surround sound systems, then to sound bars, then to Wi-Fi speakers. And today, you know, we have all these things, but we also have these wearables. You know, the, the noise canceling headphones have evolved. And I don't think a lot of people know this, but Dr. Bose invented the noise canceling headphone. Hmm. And the story behind it is fascinating because he was on a flight back from Zurich to Boston with his wife at the time. And um, they were excited to be on this flight because prior to this flight, all of the other audio delivered on the flight was through these pneumatic tubes. So if you're mm -hmm. old enough to remember, airplanes had these basically plastic tubes that would be snaked around through the plane. And then you would plug, you know, <laughs> these air tubes into the side of your seat and there would be little foam covered air tubes that would go in your ear. And there'd be a speaker in the front of the plane that would blast the audio through these air tubes. And you would have this really weird tinny 
kind of you know, do, 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 through a toilet paper roll kind of experience with music or whatever it was playing on the plane. It was kind of a bad experience. But on that flight, Swiss Air was trying out new Walkman style headphones, these very, you know, lightweight, um, you know, foam padded earphones that you would get with a Sony Walkman. And so Dr. Bose was very excited to try this higher fidelity experience. And so he got on the flight, put on the, the headphones. And when the flight took off, he couldn't hear anything. All he could hear was the noise of the airplane. And so he was so disappointed. So he turned up the volume and it, it was distorted. And so he basically unplugged the headphones and spent the rest of the flight from Boston to, from Zurich to Boston working out the math for noise canceling in an airplane. Wow. And by the time he landed, most of that work was done. Wow. And from 1978 to 1984-ish, um, there was a research project at Bose focused on building noise-canceling headphones. And prototypes were built, and they were functional. And the electronics package was probably about the size of an ammo case. So, you know, three inches by eight inches by six inches connected to a pair of headphones with, you know, sort of gel cushions and, you know, all, all of the aspects of this experience were built into this prototype. And it was a functional prototype of a noise canceling headphone. And around that time, Dan Gager, uh, one of the engineers on the product was uh, reading, I think in National Geographic or some other magazine. And he read about this flight, this proposed flight around the globe, a single one, you know, one way flight around the globe. Uh, by a guy named Dick Rattan. And in the article, they mentioned that the pilot and co-pilot were estimated to to lose about 30% of their hearing during the course of the flight. Wow. Because they needed to hear each other so they couldn't plug their ears, but they were also going to be exposed to the the endless noise of this, you know, 19-hour flight. And they were going to lose a lot of their hearing. And so having just finished this prototype of a noise-canceling headphone, he attempted to get in touch with Dick Rattan and his team down in Florida, I think it was, and finally got in touch with them. And they weren't super interested in it, but they eventually agreed to have a visit from the Bose team. So they went down there and they brought up this prototype in a Cessna for a test flight. And by the time they landed, Dick Rattan said to Dan and the Bose team, this is mission critical, but it's too heavy. Hmm. And so they ended up reducing the size of the electronics package by 50% because every ounce on that flight made a difference. They actually had to reduce the antenna, the length of the antenna on the plane um, by three inches so that the wind drag wouldn't be, wouldn't affect the, the fuel consumption. They were barely going to make it with the fuel mm. consumption. And so they ended up doing this whole thing, um, building prototypes that met the weight requirement and Dick Rattan and his co-pilot flew around the world with the world's first noise-canceling headphone, and they lost none of their hearing. And so that's a little, you know, little sidebar. That, that is so cool on on the innovation there. And so, you know, again, there's engineering involved here, but the experience is taking away this noise in in the cockpit of an airplane. So imagine Dr. Bose on this flight not thinking about how can I engineer a new widget, but asking the question, how do I solve this human problem that I'm experiencing right now? And that's the, the, at the heart of everything we do at Bose with our products. So 
the products have migrated to these portable products. And so that same noise canceling headphone, we just released a noise canceling earbud, um, which instead of having an ammo case full of electronics, the electronics fit in your ear. Right. And it, the noise canceling is superior probably to that first noise canceling headphone. Yeah. Amazing. Um, are there other products? I guess I, I'm curious about the the frames. Yeah. Uh, one as well. I know when Google Glass came out, anyone outside of tech thought they looked ridiculous. Um, yeah. it, it was like, who decided from a user experience perspective that glasses were going to be the thing to catch on? But when Bose frames came out, they instantly were cool, like sunglasses. Um, can you tell us about the path frames took from a user, expense, uh, user experience perspective and where they've landed now? Yeah. So Bose has... Always, so that the, the unique thing about frames is that it's an open ear platform and it's not bone conduction like other products where it's vibrating the bones in your skull. It's actually a, a speaker um, configured in a way that it's called the dipole, but it's configured in a way that the audio is only heard proximate to your ear and not heard standing away from you. So it's personal audio, headphone quality, full, full spectrum audio, but private. Hmm. And the beautiful thing about the the frames platform or the frames form factor is that it leaves your ears open. And so you can hear the world around you, but you also have your own personal soundtrack at full at full fidelity. And you know, Bose has been working on technologies like this for a long time, and it's migrated from a more professional application in uh, a product we call Auditioner, which lets you, stick your head in a headrest and hear what it sounds like in any seat in a concert hall, which we use for developing our, our professional systems in, in um, stadiums and theaters and churches and so forth, to, to then be a wearable form factor where a, an individual can have this open ear experience where you have the awareness of the world around you, but you also have this high quality Bose sound. So, um, frames we you i think you were at the first south by southwest in 2018 weren't you yes i was i wrote a blog post about it right and so the interesting thing that we did normally bose would develop a product and massage it into its its perfect experiential form and then release it to the world and we did something very different and uncharacteristic i think at south by in 2018 which was to bring 30 3d printed prototypes of these glasses (laughs) to South by Southwest for the purpose of seeing if it resonated with people. And we had some metrics that we were gonna try to meet. You know, There was X amount of developers we wanted to interest and X amount of people we wanted to get through the experience. And we said, if we can these numbers, we think we might have a, a product here. And so we went to South by Southwest and my team and the events team put together the experiences that you saw. We had these 30, prototypes that were 3D printed and had to be hand carried on the plane. And we, you know, we thought that maybe these prototypes would last maybe a day and we might lose some just because of the fragility of them. We ended up only losing one of these products in terms of- It wasn't me, I swear. Yeah, yeah, it was some, (laughs) there was some breakage there, which is remarkable. It says a lot about our prototyping team. They they did like an unbelievable job basically building these, these 30 things by hand. And we had about 3,000 people put these things on and experience them, and they were blown away. I mean, we, you know, we, we work on this stuff, so we're kind of jaded, and we're like, oh, yeah, we'll see if people like them. People were floored. I mean, I think you remember that experience. It was oh, yeah. a, 
a, a remarkable theatrical experience, but the products, the moment where you're, it, what we would do is we would play the music before we handed the product to the person. And so they couldn't hear it until they put it on their face. And it was like magic. And every single person had the same reaction. It was so much fun to give that demo because every single person was absolutely stunned. They had the trout look. You know, at Bose, we, we call it the trout look where people get this wow experience and they're just, they can't believe what they're experiencing. And that's how you know you have a good product. When the experience is driving the the human reaction. Um, so to 2018, we went to South by, we showed this thing off. It performed way beyond our expectations. And essentially 10 months later, we were rolling this thing off the production line and it was for sale. And along with that, we developed a software development kit for, you know, because there's sensors inside of these glasses and now inside of our headphones also that tracks your head motion. So what can you do with that? You can use your head as a user interface. So with the Bose frames, you can actually press the button underneath the frame and look to your right to raise the volume or look to your left to lower the volume. And so your body becomes the user interface. Great experience. From a music point of view and from an audio point of view, because we can track your head motion, we can also create audio augmented reality. So you can have audio sticky in the world around you. And when you look to the left, the audio stays in place. Now, that capability is not lit up in the product today in, in the way that it was when we were running this software development program. Um, that's not to say that it's not a valuable experience. It's just, you know, when we build these experiences into the products, we test them out. We figure out what the human problem we're trying to solve, in, solve is, what's the need for the customer. And then we introduce those features as, as we, you know, find those things having value to the customer. And that's really the key is when you're building a, when we're building a product, we're building experiences and those experiences have to have value to the customer. So that the uh, the the thing you described with turning the head, uh, I I had I was understanding that those types of things are not currently active in the frames. That's or correct. Does, yeah, right. So yeah. that's something that could be implemented down the road. Yeah, and you know, everybody takes their time in implementing these things because you don't want to burden the product team and burden the product with with features that um, are not needed. But you know, in recent times with COVID. Look what Apple's done with their AirPods Pro. They flipped the switch on those products and they have head tracking in them too. And so mm -hmm. they're doing spatial audio in a very basic way, which is validating a lot of the work that Bose and other companies have done to explore this idea. Um, well, sure, you need you need a place to implement it too, right? So the music yeah. streaming services have to have to make it available before the hardware can actually trigger anything. Right. And so, you know, I'm I'm not speaking out of school here because the, all of this stuff people experienced at South by Southwest. They they experienced the spatial audio as a as a beta as a test. Um, and of course, I can't comment on the future of Bose products, but I can speak generally about what's going on in the world with spatial audio, especially given what's going on with COVID. So when COVID shut the world down, live streaming music became real. And at Music Tectonics, we heard over and over again that this is this is not going away. Right. And more importantly, the problems that we think we're trying to solve is, are not necessarily technical problems. There are licensing problems. There's music industry workflow problems. Those are the things that are really interesting to me. 
because that says a lot about where the industry is going, not just for Bose, but for everybody. And as a, as a lover of music and a lover of live experiences and being, you know, sort of locked up at home like everybody else, it's really encouraging to see that all the right things are happening in the industry in general to support better spatial audio, potentially head-tracked audio, and immersive experiences that can bring live music to people who may not be able to experience it, either because of COVID, but even after COVID, because they don't live in an area where good music comes to you know, be live. Mm-hmm. So that's the stuff that is absolutely fascinating to me and, and what I'm always keeping an eye out for. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, um, it's funny, like you would hear the the, categ- the, the, the term wearables as a category, uh, you know, starting as early as uh, 2013 when we started to see these glasses and watch the Pebble watch and, and things like that kind of splashing and making a big media splash. Not, not all of it got adopted right away and other products came along to replace those that kind of carved the, the initial path. But where, where, where do you think we're going? I mean, so people don't even call it wearables anymore, right? They call them watches. They call them glasses or like you guys call them audio sunglasses. Um, yeah. uh, so the category is almost like assumed now. It's not, it's yeah. not as, as special because it was not as uh, new as a category, whereas any individual product might be special for the user. Yeah. What, where do you think the, the, the wearable category, especially on maybe the, the, the frames uh, or, or hearables, whatever you want to call it, uh, where do you think that's going in five years, 10 years? I mean, you talked a little bit about spatial audio, but what do you see as being like the user experience in the future? Before we answer that question, we're going to take a quick break. I love meeting Music Tectonics listeners at our events, and I want to make more opportunities for you to meet and support each other, virtually at least. That's why we're launching Together Tuesdays, a virtual meetup in the Music Tectonics community app. Every Tuesday, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, that's 11 a.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. in the UK, I'll kick things off with a text post in the community forum, and I hope you'll join in the discussions whenever you can on Tuesdays. Post your questions and answer other members, and every month we will feature our favorites on this podcast. Look for the hashtag TogetherTuesday and use it in your posts and comments to help us find your posts. If you're not a member yet, I'll tell you how to join the app at the end of this episode. Now back to the show. I think the user experience is going to be far more transparent than it is now. Right now, we walk around with these little rectangles in our hand, and you know they distract us from just about everything. Um, but, and actually, it's great because we just announced recently a new wearable, open ear wearable that that's uh, called Bose Sport Open Earbuds, and it's basically a pair of earbuds that are open, so that you don't have to wear Bose frames to get this open ear experience. You can actually wear these and wear your regular glasses. And so I see for us, these wearables and especially the open ear wearables are going to be a brand new category that we've kind of pioneered and really forced as a function here with frames first, but now with uh, Bose Sport open earbuds so that you have this social transparency. You mentioned Google Glass earlier. And I won't, I won't repeat the term that people use to describe people wearing Google Glass, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, the design miss with Google Glass was the social acceptability for a couple of reasons. One, it looked weird. Um, and, and you know, you could the extreme version of that is like an Oculus Quest 2, which is a great product. Nobody's going to wear that out of the house for many, for obvious reasons. 
But Bose frames, I wear all the time. I have prescription lenses in my Bose frames and they're fantastic because no one looks at my face and says, there's a product on your face. It's like, you know, if you, if you wear contacts, people don't judge you. If you wear glasses, people don't judge you um, because that's an acceptable accessory to wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think what we're going to see is coming back to your question of what's the future going to look like. We're going to see wearables that are fashionable. Mm. We're going to be see wearables that are transparent visually and socially. And some of the new challenges that that creates is sort of social accessibility problems. So if you're wearing headphones, it signals I'm not accessible. If you're wearing frames, it says you're accessible, but you may not be. You may be on a phone call or you may be listening to music or a podcast or whatever. It's interesting because it, it, it sort of plays into something that I've been curious about, which is ambient technology. The idea yes. that you don't have to hold anything. You're right. interacting with the world and the world sh- is your behavior, your body temperature, your heart rate. Other things are triggering your experiences, not just telling you what your heart rate is, but actually like having right. audio that responds to it. Yeah. Companies like Weave are doing procedural music that, you know, change pace based on your cadence or your heart rate. So you're going to see um, your 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 body is the new user interface. Mm-hmm. How you move, how your body, how your involuntary parameters are will change. You know the the media that you're experiencing or the experiences that you're experiencing. Um, imagine being able to look across a busy street and see a friend and nod at them to connect with them with audio. Right. Or imagine, um, you know, getting a phone call and nodding yes to answer it or shaking your head no to decline it. And so these natural human gestures will become the user interface for good products. Uh, For bad products, there'll be all kinds of skeuomorphism and other things, terms that you've heard that sort of bastardize the human experience and force people to, you know, swap, swipe, tap, poke, do things that they naturally wouldn't do to elicit some technological response. Mm. But I think that um, good products will honor the human experience, will honor social norms, and more importantly, will honor biological needs. And so your experience with technology and your interface with technology should be biologically and psychologically compatible and socially compatible. And so that's where in the next five years, I think the most interesting work is going to be done is bridging that gap to technology in a way that is not cognitively overloading Hmm. and socially acceptable. And we're going to, we're going to see new social norms come out of this too. Like, you know, how, what is the social protocol for letting someone know that you're unavailable because your, your technology is not broadcasting that anymore. Your body. You have a light on your forehead that says uh, recording, (laughs) broadcasting. You you laugh, but I've seen many designs that are exactly like that. And so what will be the new fashion accessory? Like think about um, clothing and the cues that clothing gives. You know, a uniform gives a very specific cue to someone to say, I'm a, an authority figure. You can come to me for help. Or I'm, 
you know, I, I'm wearing a reflective vest. I'm working. You can't bother me. You know, the same is true with technology. Now, people haven't really thought through that you the UI implications of that yet, at least not many people have. I know people who are thinking about those things, and I'm certainly thinking about those things. But um, that's the really, really interesting place to think about. The technology will march on on its own. You know, resolution for HMDs will get better, and augmented reality will become a thing, and Apple will release their, you know, AR glasses. Um, and audio is such an important part of that, and it's long been ignored. I remember 10 years ago being so frustrated reading every article about VR where it said, you know, the resolution is this and capability is this and the MIPS and the blah, 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 all the tech stuff. And then at the end of every article for a good half of a decade, it would say, and now if someone can just figure out the audio. Um, but now we are. I mean, this is the, the silver lining for COVID is that people are thinking about the audio because now, you know, the, the visual components have been matured enough that people can start thinking about what really matters. And the thing that's really interesting about audio with visuals is that audio is half the image. Mm. And the thing about audio only experiences is that the theater of the mind is driven by this audio. And that's why I'm so excited about the stuff that we're doing and the stuff that other people in this space are doing you know, Apple validating that head tracked spatial audio is a thing was a gift for me because I can now work on this stuff in good conscience, knowing that Apple has validated that this is something of value to customers. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and I want, I want to talk a little bit about that in, in just a second in terms of, I mean, it's interesting to hear somebody like you say that having Apple validate that actually helps you. Um, so I want to come back to that on, uh, in a second, but I just want to ask you before we leave this topic of audio AR, do you think there is a future of independent audio AR separate from visual AR or is it going to mostly, I mean, cause the vision you guys put out there with those kind of beta tests of those uh, early 3D printed frames was, yeah, you're going to swipe your head as an interface um, or you're going to hear audio as you approach certain things. I remember there was a there was a, a, a demo of a beta product where when you walk into a gym, it starts offering you your gym related, your fitness related playlist. When you go into a certain room in your house, you get your meditation or your lullabies or, or something like that, um, which to me is augmented audio. Um, uh, do, do you see a future in an audio specific augmented reality or is it more going to be get in, integrated with VR? I think there's a huge future in the audio aspect of it. And I'm not just speaking from a Bose point of view, I'm thinking in general. And here's why. Um, people are uh, underestimating the cognitive load that AR is going to have on people visually. You know, the human mm -hmm. brain operates at about the speed of a 386 computer. So those of you who are old enough to know what that is, know that that's not very fast. What makes the human brain so unique is that it's a massively parallel processing machine. It's not fast, but it's massively parallel. But you'll notice if you're doing something and then someone starts talking to you or something visual comes into your field of view, the rest of your brain starts to shut down. Your cognitive load is is reached and it's as it's low a lot lower than people think and so i think that audio only experiences um are far less taxing on the brain on our you know ancient computer brains 
than audio only com uh, content. And so mm -hmm. people are going to slowly discover this. Yes, there'll be, you know, Mojo Vision has AR, uh, you know, aug augmented reality contact lenses that work. I've seen them. Wow. Um, you know, I've seen prototypes. I certainly haven't put them in my eye and I probably won't, but, um, <laughs> you know, and I've, I've tried tons of augmented reality glasses. Apple will have augmented reality glasses. You know, Physics has, you know, functional products out there now. Um, you know, Epson and Microsoft, and, you know, they're going to be there. And you'll find that those will have more industrial applications because, the same thing happened with the VR space where people right. in, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017 were like, oh yeah, VR, 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 it's going to be the thing. But it's, it, there, there've been waves and waves of that. Like, um, in 1968, the first VR headset, the sort of Damocles, you know, was the thing. And then there was, you know, a decade later, another VR headset and another and another and another, and then, you know, Oculus and then, Vive and HP, and they're all great, but they all have the same problem, which is there's there are physiological limitations to those things. Your brain thinks you're looking 40 feet away, but your eyes and your muscles in your eyes are towed in three centimeters in front of you. And that's, that's physically taxing to the body. And it's also visually taxing in terms of cognitive load. So audio-only experiences are the sleeper, the sleeper app in my opinion, because they're, it's discreet. I can wear my Bose frames and walk around and have superpowers. I can know everything about the city I'm walking through, even if I'm just listening to a podcast about it. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be head-tracked audio with you know geotagged points on the map and things like that. All those things are possible, certainly. Um, but I think that's really where the value for this is for the broad population. I mean, I think I think we're seeing some validation of that on something like Clubhouse, the audio social media platform, where it's all audio, right. and it's like after you experience it, you're like, wait, why hasn't this existed already? This is like old technology. There's nothing fancy happening here. It's just somebody put the right components together. Yeah, I, I'm reading a book about the history of recorded music, and um, it's called "Perfecting Music Forever." Um, I'll, I, you can put in the notes that the name of the author, I, he's, he's actually interestingly enough, uh, a geoscientist like myself. <laughs> um, and, uh, but anyway, so in this book, they're talking about Edison and the phonograph and then the gramophone, which was disc based. The phonograph was originally cylinder based with wax. And it's sort of, you know, the same technological com competition over and over again. It's, Betamax versus VHS. It's hmm. DVD versus, you know, HD DVD versus Blu-ray. It's SACD versus, you know, insert other format here. But, you know, these, all of these things come down to the fundamental goal of delivering a human experience that people will tolerate. Hmm. And hmm. so coming back to why do I think audio is important here? I mean, sure, I work for Bose, so I'm hugely jaded in this conversation, but I'm also hugely informed because I've been looking at this stuff and thinking about it for so long. The, the human experience with audio only in the world, especially when it's a discrete form factor that you can't even see, the value to the human is so great 
And it, it ticks all the boxes from a physical point of view. It ticks all the boxes from a social point of view. But more importantly, it ticks all the boxes on the human benefit point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you can give someone superpower, so imagine all of our phones are talking to each other over the 5G network and I walk up to you and I'm like, I whisper to myself, oh my God, what's his name? And my my little voice in my ear says, oh, that's Dimitri. You met him at Music Tectonics <laughs> and at Capital Royale. You know, he's a Libra and he loves long walks on the beach. <laughs> you know, I now have a superpower and think about that as the value proposition. What mm-hmm. superpower are you giving people? And, you know, visual layers on top of things. Yeah, you can have gained the same superpower. Like I can see your name pop up on the screen. But now I'm not focused on you. I'm focused on this layer of information in front of me. And my cognitive load, my my brain computer is now taxed. And so I can't engage in witty conversation with you in the same way that I can if I'm not cognitively loaded. Yeah. Uh, You know, this is all hyperbole on my part, but (laughs) it's informed by years of experience. I mean, I, when we first, when we came back from South by Southwest in 2018 with these 30 prototypes, I held on to one of them. I asked the team if I could hold on to it so that I could wear it 24 seven and understand what my new superpower was. And it took me about a month to really wrap my head around the value proposition there. And I was actually quite skeptical. But after about a month, I was just absolutely converted, not having something jammed in my ear. I mean, I love earbuds. They have value, especially if you're trying to cancel noise. But if you're not trying to cancel noise, if that's not the job you're trying to do, open your audio is unbelievable. So listen, um, I want to ask you about a whole different form factor just because you guys are in the mix. Um, it's it's. Uh, I was thinking of smart speakers, which could have been hugely disruptive um, for a business that's focused on speakers. But it's cool that companies like Bose and Sonos have been able to grow into that smart speaker business because you're a speaker business rather than as a business that trades on, say, data or advertising. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the feature advantages and disadvantages of being independent from a major tech company. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll speak as intelligently as I can about this, but I think that the major advantage is that you don't have to pick one platform over over another. So you can do Siri and Amazon and Google. The, the voice, right. the personal voice assistants can be whatever you want them to be. And you can configure the product to, you know, answer to whatever command you prefer. If you're a Google person, hey, Google. If you're an Amazon person, hey, Alexa. If you're, um, you know, an app, you know, an Apple person, hey, Siri. Um, so that's one of the advantages. You know, the disadvantage is that there are th- three legs to the stool for delivering experiences in the new digital age. The first leg is content. The second leg is pipeline, the distribution method. And the third leg is the rendering part, which is where Bose lives. We're the third leg of the stool for in your car, in your church, in your restaurant, in your home, in your, you know, on your head and your ears, on my face in the case of my glasses. And so we kind of cover the first mile and the last mile in the hardware domain. We have all these amazing noise canceling microphones on our headphones and we have the best audio rendering that money can buy and it's accessible. And so we cover the hearing what you want to say. We hear you say, hey, Siri, or whatever. And then we render the result back to you through the speaker. 
through the driver in the headphones or in the car or wherever. Um, and so for smart speakers, you know, if you think about companies like Apple and Google and Amazon, why are they building speakers? And the answer is, yes, they want to collect your data. In the case of Google, it's they want to um, advertise to you. In the case of Amazon, it's they want to collect your data. In the case of Facebook, they want to, you know, harvest your 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 opinions through data. But the the reason they're making these speakers so they can own all three legs of the stool. Apple is well positioned in this regard because they have iTunes Music, they have Apple Music, they have Apple TV, and they have now Apple Fitness. And you can bet they're going to have Apple AR experiences, so Apple Virtual, whatever they're going to call that. So they have the content, they have the delivery platform, and they make the hardware, not only the mobile device, but also the headphones and the speakers. And so they have the full tool chain, all three legs of the stool at their disposal to do whatever they want with it. Um, companies like Sonos and Apple partner with content providers. You know, we have integration with Spotify and we have integration with other, other you know, streaming services. And so, you know, the future is going to be determined by who has all three legs of those stools. And for those people who don't have all three legs of the stools, who are the partners that they choose to fill those other legs? And so as a Bose customer, I'm comfortable knowing that the reason Bose is selling me this product is to deliver the best audio experience possible and to have the best microphone so that you can hear what I want to hear. Um, and so that, you know, that's, kind of where we fit in that landscape and it's kind of a great place to be because hmm. it's it feels like an ethical place to be you know there's a lot of controversy with facebook and google with you know data mining and things things like that and I, you know i can go to sleep at night knowing that i'm not part of that problem before we get to the next question we need to take a quick break for an announcement i recorded just for you Music Tectonics listeners are the smartest, coolest music tech minds out there, and I want to give you a chance to speak up and win a prize. Every week, I pose a big question for you to answer in the Music Tectonics community app. At the end of the month, we'll choose the most awesome answer and send the winner one of my favorite books about business, music, technology, or just life. Here it is. What will be the coolest audio innovations to emerge in 2021? I'd love to hear your thoughts on spatial audio, augmented reality audio, extensions of gaming or VR with audio. Maybe there's a new personalized listening experience about to come out, or maybe it's simply Clubhouse. Tell me what you think will be the coolest audio innovations to emerge in 2021. Look for the post that goes with this episode in the Music Tectonics app, community forum. We'll tag it hashtag the big question and answer in the comments. If you're not a member yet, I'll tell you how to join at the end of the episode. Now back to the show. Matt, this has been a, a blast. I'm going to ask you one more thing before we wrap up the episode. Um, although you've already answered it in some ways, but I just want to give you one more chance to, to kind of expose us to other things you're thinking about. Are there any other emerging technologies in the music or audio spaces that you're personally excited about? Anything that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, I think I think that um, live streaming technologies and those live streaming experiences are going to be the space to watch in the next two years because of how much improvement there is to be made there. 
you know, the live music experience has some really specific characteristics. You know, you're with other people that you care about or love, and you're going together to a place where you're with other people in a big crowd. Being part of an experience that's unique and special, you know, a concert of some kind or, you know, a the theatrical experience. And if you think about live streaming as we know it today through like, say, Apple Music or just, you know, playback of, of stored music, it's missing a lot of those key mm. human components. And the thing I'm most excited about is seeing where the industry goes to address those shortcomings. How are you going to have a sense of presence with your friends when you can't be together? How are you going to be in the presence of strangers who share the same love of an artist or a theatrical experience? And that's where the value is going to be um, is by solving those specific human problems. Awesome. Matthew Neutro with Bo Bose. So great to have the chance to talk with you on Music Tectonics. It's been great having you come out to events and now getting you on the podcast. Um, so glad you're part of the Music Tectonics community. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll stay in touch. And thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Hey, thank you for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Become a part of the Music Tectonics community, a social network just for music tech aficionados like you. It's free to join. Use it on the web at app.musictectonics.com. Find the mobile app for Apple and Android devices in the relevant app stores. Connect with people from all corners of music and tech, answer the big question, and meet me there on Together Tuesdays. There's more about the community app, this podcast, episode, our annual conference, and our newsletter at musictectonics.com. Peace! You're listening to Music Tectonics.